0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1 and... want to read again verse 9 after he said this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight now as i said this morning this came about because somebody in the congregation who shall remain nameless but she is a farmer's wife And uh, asked me about preaching on the Ascension, and we had a look at that, and uh, I I was given a particular book to look at it, and it was incredibly helpful. The book was incredibly helpful. And I think that um, it is something that is very uh, difficult for us to understand and to grasp. And so I want to to look at it this evening and to think about it, uh, the book is by a guy called Jarrett Dawson, and it's talked about Christ's continuing incarnation. So we're going to think about it. I want to think about it in the light of, uh, we, we say in the Apostles' Creed, He ascended into heaven, and from thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So I want us to think about it and think about how that works out and what it actually Means because there is a real uh, problem in trying to work it all out because Jesus is sent into heaven. It sounds daft, doesn't it? You're talking about Jesus being taken up in a cloud and where did he go? And surely people didn't understand the universe as we understood the universe now. And where is Jesus now? So we're going to look at that and we're going to think about some of the things that are involved and. Uh, it's good to see the children here as well. I remember as a very young child thinking, where is Jesus just now? And then people would say things like, Jesus is in my heart. Or we take communion, we say, Jesus is here. If you're a Catholic, uh, from a Catholic background, then when you take communion, you say, Jesus' body is literally there in the bread. So where actually is he and what does it mean? And we, we talk about having a relationship with Jesus. How do you have a relationship with somebody who's not immediately present with you? There is, let's ask some basic questions. Uh, When did he ascend? Now here it's quite clear. It says 40 days afterwards. But in Luke 24, it says immediately he was taken up to heaven before their very eyes. And some people think that what's happening there is that, uh, I hadn't thought about this before, they thought that Jesus actually went to heaven and he came back again and then had this kind of almost symbolic ascension in front of the disciples though most people think that what's happened is that luke because remember luke wrote both these things he's not contradicting himself that luke just conflates the two things but i want us to think about what's happened and especially to think about where jesus is now and how it works for us how did he ascend two words are used in the bible for the ascension of jesus one A word, anabeno, means to go up yourself. So it's like climbing the stairs yourself. It's used in the Old Testament especially of the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Uh, We often sing at Communion, Psalm 24. And that word is used there about the king entering into his kingdom, into a kind of triumphal march. And that word is used... But there's another word used here in Acts uh, 11, in Acts 1 rather, verse 2 and verse 11 and verse 22, which means taken up. I don't mean to be irreverent, but if you're thinking about what actually happened, what did the disciples see when Jesus ascended? What did he do? I mean, he didn't flap his arms and take off. He didn't fly. So what occurred? 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. He was taken up before their very eyes. There was an awareness and a sense of the glory of God, and Jesus was taken in glory. The whole idea is that he went into his Father's presence. It was an act of the triune God like the incarnation like the baptism of jesus like the resurrection god the father god the son and god the spirit were involved in this now i have to say that i don't I haven't thought about the ascension much at all not for many many years i've just it's there it's happened i don't really know what it means and it hasn't struck me as being of enormous practical significance but when i've been looking at this it's just really thrilled me how wonderful this is and how essential it is in fact dawson when he writes the book says it would transform our churches if we understood where jesus is that we've got this disconnect in in, in ourselves this where did he go now that's the interesting one he went to heaven but where's heaven what does that mean the bible uses the word heaven in different ways talks about heaven as being the sky above us So the dome of the sky above us. Or it talks about the heavens as the vast region of stars beyond our world. Or it talks about heaven as being a place beyond our sense perception. You don't take a spaceship to heaven. Now I think this is an amazing statement from John Calvin. Not knowing what we know in terms of science. Not having sent anyone to the moon. This is what he says about this. What he says Do we place Christ midway among the spheres, or do we build a cottage for him among the planets? Heaven we regard as the magnificent palace of God, far outstripping all this world's fabric. So it is really important for us to get rid of this idea that this kind of view of the universe that has hell down there, us here, and heaven up there, because that's not what the Bible teaches. You will not get a space probe that goes to heaven. Jesus is not living on a planet far, far away. I sometimes wonder how much our thinking and culture has been influenced by Star Wars and Star Trek and and things like that. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Heaven is in a different dimension all together. And when we think about heaven, we need to think about it in this way. God is, of course, present everywhere. But what do we mean when we say that heaven is the place where God is? Jürgen Maltman says this, heaven is the sphere of creation which already totally corresponds to God because it's totally pervaded by his glory. You see, God made the heavens and the earth, and it was good. But there, there was a fall, and that has affected not just the earth. It's affected the whole universe. And we do not see the glory of God as we, sh- as we should see the glory of God. We may get glimpses of the glory of God, but we do not see it. Heaven is the place where God is, where there is no evil, and there is nothing that would detract from or take away from His glory. Now, that's why in the Bible you have to be really careful when you read about heaven, because when it talks about heaven being a city and it talks about Um, the new heavens and the new earth and so on, there are a lot of symbols that are used. But that doesn't mean that heaven is just a symbolic place. Heaven is real. All that we're saying is that human language is inadequate to describe fully the realities of heaven. In other words, there's something that's kind of transcendent about it, something that is beyond Jesus is in heaven doesn't mean that you could measure the distance from here. What kind of body does Jesus have? Because it talks about him having a spiritual body. Philippians 1 talks about a spiritual body. What kind of body? Because again, on the day of the resurrection, it's good for us to remember that Jesus did rise from the dead. But as we saw this morning, that body had different properties so that Whereas before he couldn't do this, before his resurrection he couldn't do this, after his resurrection he could. He went through a door without having the door having to be opened. I think that um, that indicates something that's different, but it was a real body. Augustine says this, by a spiritual body is meant one which has been made subject to spirit In such wise that it is adapted to heavenly habitation. All frailty and every earthly blemish having been changed and converted into heavenly purity and stability. But the question as to where and in what manner the Lord's body is in heaven is one which would be altogether over-curious and superfluous to prosecute. Only we must believe it is in heaven. In other words, what Augustine is saying is this. Jesus' body on earth was subject to decay. It was subject to death. It was frail. Jesus' body in heaven is not subject to decay. It's not frail. And that's why it's so important for us because our bodies will be like His glorious body. Some of you are older than others. You're conscious of a wee bit frailty. You know, you get tired. You're conscious of maybe mental weakness. You're conscious of lots of other different things. See, when you're in heaven that's all gone you'll still have a body but that will all be gone the thing that most shook me as i was looking at this was realizing the truth of the statement and i think it it may have been c.s lewis i can't remember i think it may have been c.s lewis who said this that what we've done is we have god coming from heaven incarnate he's he comes becomes a human being but when jesus goes back to heaven. He becomes, he loses his humanity. Now, there's a wonderful old Scots theologian called Rabbi Duncan, who uh, I've told some of you this before. When he was converted, he became a professor of Hebrew uh, at the Free Church College in Aberdeen. There was one in Aberdeen, and then also in Edinburgh. And Rabbi Duncan, when he was converted, uh, which is this is good for a Presbyterian, by the way, Chris Southwick, play note to this, that on the brig of Dee it said, "I danced with delight." So he, that's a good old, good solid f- free church Presbyterian minister. Danced with delight on the brig of D when he was converted. But he had, he, was, he had a great way of putting scriptures and theology in pithy language. And in describing this, this is what he said. And I've never forgotten actually this, this phrase. I didn't hear him say it. Obviously, it's the 19th century. But he said this. He said, the dust of the earth now sits on the throne of heaven. And that's a wonderful phrase. Jesus did not lose his humanity when he ascended into heaven. It is the human Jesus, the son of God, who ascended into heaven. He said this. He said to his disciples, I have to go. I, I, I can't be everywhere at once. I have to go. I'm going to send you another one, the comforter. Lewis, this is the quote that Lewis said we also in our heart of hearts tend to slur over the risen manhood of Jesus to conceive him after death, simply returning into deity so that the resurrection would be no more than a reversal or undoing of the incarnation. It would be the resurrection is a reversal or an undoing of the incarnation. John Knox in the Scots Confession says this, that Christ returned with the self same body in which he had been born in which he lived, and which he died. And another theologian, I'm sorry I'm quoting all these theologians, but Karl Barth says this, the Son of God maintains our humanity to all eternity. It's a clothing which he does not put off. It is his temple which he does not leave. It is the form which he does not lose. The Godhead is not stripped of humanity, but adorned with it. And again, I'm... I just love C.S. Lewis on this so much. He says this. He goes to prepare a place for us. This presumably means that he is about to create that all new nature. Which will provide the environment or conditions of his glorified humanity. And in him, for us, the picture of a new human nature. And a new nature in general being brought into existence. There's a whole new universe that's in the picture. Not an unmaking but a remaking the old field of space time matter and the senses is to be weeded dug and so on for a new crop we may be tired of that old field god is not there will be a new heavens and a new earth you will have a new body it really is wrong of us to think of heaven and earth and hell as three different parts of the same universe We need to grasp that what God is going to do is he is going to take this sin-fallen, ruined world and he's going to change it all because of Jesus. You might say if only there was a world in which there was no pain, a world in which there was no sorrow, a world in which there was no suffering, a world in which there was freedom and love, and yet nothing wrong. A world in which there was no decay and no despair and no hunger and no lack. And the answer is there is. And that is the place that Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. The dust of the earth sits on the throne of heaven. Now, let's, we'll come back a little bit to where that actually is or what we mean by that. But what does that mean in practice? In practice, it means this. Jesus is gone. He left this earth. He was taken up. These men and women had been with Jesus for a number of years. And from Acts chapter 1, we find that Jesus is no longer there. So the gospel of Luke, he's there. The book of Acts, he's not there. Except he is. Because you'll notice at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Luke says, what Jesus began to do and to teach. Well, what's Jesus, what does that mean? It means he's continuing to do and to teach, but how is he doing it? He's doing it in a different way. How can Christ be with us if he's in heaven? The body of Christ is not omnipresent. I'm sorry, but that's one of the problems when people say, well, The literal physical body of Jesus is in the bread, in the communion. No, because that would make a nonsense of the body of Jesus being a localized body. He can't be present everywhere in his body. So the body of Christ is not everywhere present. But Christ is present in this way. We speak of the work of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. So let's just think about that a little way. Christ as prophet came to bring us God's word. The ascension marks a change in Christ's prophetic office. How? Because when Christ was on earth, there were people who could hear him talk. So, if you happened to be in Jerusalem or in Bethany or in Galilee and you happened to be in the house in Capernaum, you might have heard Jesus speak. But if you were in Jerusalem and Jesus was speaking in Jerusalem, you weren't hearing him in Galilee or in Rome or In Scotland, uncivilized as we were then. The point is that Jesus's ministry, his prophetic ministry, his speaking was limited to the people who could actually hear his literal physical voice. But now, what does he do? He says, I will send you another, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm going, and when I go, I'm going to send the Spirit, and my Spirit will work in you to reach the whole world. Likewise, his work continues as priest. His sacrifice is finished. It's done. Again, we don't re- when we take communion, we're not re-sacrificing Jesus. We're not saying, here's Jesus. We're offering him up again. We have, says Hebrews 4, a great high priest, what? Who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, what's wonderful about that is that Jesus is on the throne and we are able to approach him. Now, he's, the distance, if you like, is beyond our comprehension. But how can he be close to us? Well, we'll see. Calvin especially worked out... It's it's great that we're looking at this when we're taking the Lord's Supper because he worked out his doctrine of the Lord's Supper on the basis of the ascension. He said, although Jesus has gone away from us, he's taken his flesh away from us, his body has ascended into heaven, yet he sits at the right hand of the Father. That is, he reigns in the Father's power and majesty and glory. This kingdom is is not bounded by location in space nor circumscribed by any limits Thus Christ is not prevented from exerting his power wherever he pleases in heaven and on earth. He shows his presence in power and strength. He's always among his own people. He breathes his life upon them and lives in them, sustaining them, strengthening them, quickening them, keeping them from harm as if he were present in the body. In short, he feeds his own people with his own body, the communion of which he bestows upon them by the power of his spirit. In this manner, the body and blood of Christ are shown to us in the sacrament. When we sit at the Lord's table, when we come together, listen to this. Jesus is here as really and as truly as if he were physically present. The fact that he is not physically present is not to do with weakness, but because he is on his throne in glory. It would be an incredibly selfish thing for us to say, we want you here, Jesus, physically, but you can't be anywhere else. But because he's ascended to glory, he is able through his spirit to be everywhere his work is not limited because of being confined by space because of his spirit the holy spirit unites christ in his church and that's why when you go through the letters you will find over and over again the most important description of being a christian is not the term christian it's not the term born again though that's vital of course it is that you are in christ that you belong to christ so Christ really here is present at his table. I hope this doesn't give a wrong image in your head. It's like the ultimate Skype call, okay? I mean, we've got a daughter in Australia, as you know, and I think I'll be a bit indulgent and say, yeah, I've got my phone switched on all the time because her her, her due date is tomorrow. I, I actually skyped her this morning and said oh you're due today and she says no dad got it wrong just be patient uh it's tomorrow um now and it's lovely because what the hospital are doing is they're setting up skype and a camera and so on within i don't know if the nhs here would do that so but that's great so that we will get to see and that's lovely it's great and there's a little bit of that's that's being said here except this for us, Skype is limited because we are physically not, we, you can see and there's certain things that you can grasp and so on, but it's not the full deal. The ascended Lord, however, is not everywhere, but he is everywhere accessible. Now, that's important. That's why when people go around saying, I saw Jesus and he was 400 foot high, I remember one man saying he had that. I mean, I know that people can have visions and all the rest of it, but... You know, I met Jesus here. I saw Jesus. I met a woman once who she said to me, I met Jesus in India. And I go, no, you didn't. She thought I was just such a skeptical, cynical unbeliever. But you didn't meet Jesus in India, not at least not physically at his body. His body's in heaven. But he's still accessible to us. My conclusion, says Calvin, is that the body of Christ is really, truly given to us in the supper so that it may be health giving food for ourselves our souls are fed with him or what amounts to the same thing he says the life-giving power from the flesh of christ is poured into us by the medium of the holy spirit even though his flesh is a great distance from us and is not mixed with us So Christ's work continues as prophet, it continues as priest, as he gives himself to us, and it continues as king. His kingdom will come. Ephesians 1, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ, what? When he raised him from the dead, And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus rules, Jesus reigns, and every power, whether it's political, spiritual, demonic, angelic, whatever, every power sits under his throne The world and its desires pass away, says John, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, this next bit, it's a wee bit heavy, and I'm not sure I've grasped it, but I thought what I grasped was wonderful, and maybe, don't switch off for five minutes, but think about this, and and it's maybe worth us thinking about. See, the problem with our view of heaven and earth is a kind of dualistic view. There's the spiritual and there's the physical. And that doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from Greek philosophy. It comes from uh, other things out with that. Torrance, who I normally wouldn't take as a, a, a good guide on this, but he's got some actually brilliant stuff on this. And he says this, listen, what this means, because heaven, is, if you like, is another dimension, If for those of you who know what multiverse theory is, if you don't, don't worry. But, um, you know, I think there's a Christian version of multiverse theory, which says that there is another universe, another dimension beyond this universe. And Christ has withdrawn from the visible, if you like, and physical contact with us in our space and in our time. And so what, how, how does Jesus make contact with us? Here's the answer. It's through history. It's almost like traveling back in time. And that's, we go with the Bible. and the, the Bible's almost a little bit like a time machine. You want to know what Jesus is like? You go and see what he was like. What did he do on earth? And yet it's a time machine that comes this way forward as well. Because what Jesus did in the Gospels. What Jesus did in the Old Testament. What Jesus did in the Acts of the Apostles. That still applies to us today. So we don't get... To hold his hand physically, literally. We don't get to see him on the cross, literally. But we get to experience and to know that through his involvement with us since then. Now, how, again, does that work out? I think it's, a, um, I think it's an absolutely incredible thing, actually. I think it's, uh, it's Christ if you like, condensing time and space. We can't think like that. We can't do that. You know, when you do the Skype call, it's traveling thousands of miles if it's going to Australia. And you're condensing the space, if you like. You're talking to your daughter or whatever, your mother or whatever. You're talking as though they were in the room with you, but they're not. But you've condensed through this technology, you've condensed the the space and the time so that you can do that. I think that is a picture of what happens through this wonderful work of God, the triune God, through the ascended and risen Christ. Because it's as though when we hear about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, it's as though we're there it's as though that gap of 2,000 years has just gone. It's been condensed. Or when we hear, uh, think about the future and what Christ is going to do, it's again as though we are there. And in terms of space and in terms of where he is just now, you might say, well, I would believe I would be so much better if, if Jesus was actually, you know, if he was sitting right there right now, wouldn't that be so much more wonderful? The answer is no. No, Why? Well, yes, in one sense, because you would physically see him. But not in this sense. Christ is communicating to you all that he has and all that he is, all of himself, from the throne of heaven into this sinful and sick world. And he's able to do so because of what he did whilst he was on this earth. And he's able to do so because he reigns in power and glory There is no doubt about the final victory of Jesus Christ. Christ then is able to communicate himself to us. So if you think, don't think of Jesus as, well, he came down to earth, he became a human being, he went up to heaven, he stopped being a human being, and we're just back to the old thing. This is saying the incarnate Son of God sits on the throne of heaven, and therefore all is well. We talk about communion as being, well, we talk about the Lord's Supper as being communion, and the idea there, the same words of Christ communicating himself to us. You know, there are different views of the Lord's Supper. I mentioned um, one Catholic view of the Mass actually being Jesus physically present with us, I honestly don't think the Bible teaches that. I don't think it makes sense, but I don't think the Bible teaches it. But there's another view which a lot of evangelical Christians have which say that, well, it's a symbolic memorial of the death of Jesus. Well, why call it communion if that's the case? Well, we share together with one another. That's true. But I think that there's a, a... a kind of middle view almost and a view that is more biblical and it's saying this this really is the lord's table imagine a table in the jewish passover you would get the chairs put around the table and you would get one left and that was for the absent messiah but the christian communion the lord is here the lord is present how Because although he physically is in his throne in heaven, he is able to communicate himself through his spirit, through the symbols that he gives us, through his word as to who he really is. We can know Christ. We can be in Christ. We can be fed by Christ. Now, there is so much in that that you will spend the rest of your life and possibly the rest of eternity trying to work out actually what that means but i'll tell you what it does mean it does mean that anyone who says i know jesus and that's it i I don't need to know anymore i think someone who says that you know what they're saying they're saying one of two things they're saying i had an experience in which i felt very close to god and that's sufficient or they're saying that uh, i know About Jesus. I know what Jesus did. I know his history. And I've committed myself to him. But the Christian life is much deeper than that. It is a communion. And that's why Paul has this just. Tremendous longing. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. But Paul has had a vision of Christ. Paul had seen Christ. Paul had been spoken to directly by Christ. And he he says. I want to know him. Because it's like the Skype call isn't enough. It's like just to be in the presence of Christ. And that's why sometimes, some of you you know what I'm talking about. Maybe not often in your lives, but maybe once or twice, or maybe several times in your life, you have experienced times when you were so conscious of the presence of Christ that if he'd actually appeared physically before you, you wouldn't have been surprised. It was just You've been in church perhaps, or maybe not in church. You've been in your home, you've been reading, you've been praying, you've been walking, whatever. And just something, there was just a consciousness of the presence of Jesus Christ. So you got to that stage where you wanted to lift up your hands and say, Lord, enough, enough. Take me now. I'm ready. And he says, no, go back. You have to go into that world. But you can always come. And that's why I love the communion. It's not just a memorial. It is Christ feeding his people. That's why I love gathering together on the Lord's Day, morning and evening, hearing God's word, because it's Christ speaking to us. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. It's not that he was our prophet and was our priest and was our king or will be our prophet, will be our priest, and will be our king. He is. Philippians 3.20 says this. Our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, that's right. That's where Jesus is. It's not saying, oh, our citizenship is when we die and this world's just such a mess. It's saying, no, no, our king is in heaven and we belong to heaven. And whilst we are here, we are ambassadors of heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's there and we're waiting for him to come back because that's what we read. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I grew up in the Christian brethren. Okay, you can overdo things sometimes. And you know, every Sunday we heard about the second coming. You know, I just had it up to here with the second coming in the temple. But I tell you this, the opposite extreme is just as bad. How often do you hear in church this about the second coming? And when did you last hear a Christian greet someone with Maranatha? May the Lord return soon. Do we really look forward to the Lord's return? I think there's something wrong if we've lost that emphasis. And I think we have lost it. But we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, nothing is beyond the control of Jesus. He will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. He will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. I said this morning that there's a whole franchise coming out with Marvel comics and others of all the superhero movies. And people being transformed and Iron Man and Superwoman and everything else. And it's all very dramatic and it's all very spectacular. And people will go, personally I'd be bored stiff, but never mind. Uh, some of you will benefit from it and will enjoy and have, be entertained. But it's a pathetic charade and imitation compared to the glory that jesus christ brings when he comes in glory and when he will transform the bodies of his people i have buried people who as they've gone into the ground we saw this morning about lazarus being four days and you know already putrefying as they have gone into the ground and you know that no matter the fanciness of the coffin, no matter the clothes that are put on, no matter what is said, their body is going to rot. But this tells us that Christ is on the throne and he is going to raise up his people with glorious bodies like his body. That's why the ascension is important. That's why it completes the picture of the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and then the ascension. Well, actually, the the picture is completed, if you like, with the return of Christ when it's ended. But uh, what a great image, what a great picture. Please don't think of Jesus as just being in the past or of Jesus as being some ethereal being up in heaven, but think of the Jesus of the New Testament being in heaven, reigning for us, and coming back for us. That should encourage us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are ascended into heaven. And as we speak just now, you hear us not because of the range of our voices, not because of the purity of our hearts, but because you reign and your gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon your church so that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to know that. And, O oh, Lord, we, we like to know things in our heads, and we like to believe things, but we love to experience, and we pray that we would experience your presence, even as we sit at your table. In your name, amen. We're going to sing, uh, as we prepare for communion, um, <clears throat> the song, How Deep. The Father's love for us, how vast, beyond all measure. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters dundeeorg For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically please visit the website of Solace the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org Once again that website address is solace-cpc.org Thanks for listening.